From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Tuesday, July 25th. In the very salty north arm of Great Salt Lake, Gunnison Island hosts one of the largest breeding grounds for American white pelicans in the world. But not this year. Researchers say pelicans appear to have mostly abandoned the traditional nesting site. Erin Lewis, with our partners at Utah Public Radio, caught up with science reporter Amy Van Tatenhove after a recent lakewide survey of the birds. In this recent shorebird survey, what observation really stuck out to researchers and government officials? On this fowl rope survey, the people doing the flight flew by Gunnison Island, and they noticed the pelicans were gone. Like, they're gone, gone. So the division noticed that there were very few adult pelicans during their pelican survey in June, which... It isn't entirely abnormal because the adults are often out foraging for food, but they also notice very few chicks on the island. Um, and then to see essentially no pelicans at the colony during the fowl rope survey really raised some hairs on the back of people's necks. Uh, and so now they're trying to figure out what happened at the colony to cause this abandonment. Wow. Okay. So does this mean there are any pelicans at all left at the colony? Yeah. So we went up to the colony to confirm that it was essentially abandoned and to see if we could find any clues as to why. Uh, and there were about 40 chicks that were on the island, and fortunately, it seems like the parents are still coming back to feed them, which is great. Uh, but compared to the number of chicks you'd expect to see in a good year, this is essentially nothing. Are there any hypotheses yet as to why this has happened? So the low numbers that they saw earlier in the spring, that might be related to Great Lake water levels. So even with water levels up a bit this year, the lake is still low, and pelican numbers have been declining since the late 1980s as water levels have declined. But the full-on abandonment, we don't really know yet. It seems a bit sudden that the water levels would just cause a switch to flip. Uh, There are a number of coyotes on the island just because the water levels have been so low, and the island isn't an island anymore. It's a peninsula. So we went out there and we looked around, and we didn't see any coyotes, but there's really good evidence that they're there. Uh, Perhaps there's more coyote coyote disturbance than in previous years, and they all just abandoned. However, coyotes have been present on the island since around 2016, so their presence there alone probably isn't what caused complete abandonment. Uh, Another potential factor is avian influenza. So other colonial nesting birds have been hit really hard by avian influenza, so it's not out of the question. Uh, Theory is that some of the pelicans got sick and other pelicans at the colony noticed and left as a reaction to that. On our trip, we took some swab samples from the chicks at the colony, but we're still waiting to hear back about the results. Um, So otherwise, we're not really sure. Something has changed, and we just aren't sure what yet. Okay, so water diversions and drought have been shrinking Great Salt Lake since the 1980s. This spring, however, we saw much more precipitation to the mountains and lakes downstream and are seeing increases in the lake's water level. Is that something that could play into it at all? The water level increases we saw with our awesome snowpack this year have probably been overall very helpful to the pelicans, Uh, but those water level increases have mostly happened in the southern part of Great Salt Lake and not out near the colony just because the causeway limits the amount of water that flows into the north arm of the lake, especially with the causeway burn being raised earlier this year. So snowmelt hasn't really helped protect the colony from terrestrial predators like coyotes. And when we went out to the colony, it wasn't anywhere close to an island anymore, just salt flats and deep mud between the colony and the mainland. Do you know of anything like this happening before in pelican populations, particularly in a nesting area? Yeah, so pelicans are really interesting because they can travel a long distance. And as far as we know, they'll move between breeding colonies or they will 
because they live so long, take a year off from breeding and it's not a huge deal. But if this becomes the norm and Utah's pelicans quit breeding in the state entirely, we may see significant impacts to the regional pelican population because historically the Gunnison colony was so large and productive. Um, on the bright side, the Gunnison colony has gone locally extinct before, but that was largely due to direct human disturbance when <laughs> a group of people stationed themselves on Gunnison Island to mine pelican guano for fertilizer back in the late 1800s. Uh, but abandonment as a direct result of environmental conditions, um, that's a big concern because uh, it'll be harder to reverse than abandonment from human disturbance like we've seen previously. Thanks for spending time chatting with us, Amy. We will stay tuned for future updates. That's Aaron Lewis with our partners at Utah Public Radio speaking with science reporter Amy Van Tatenhove about the Pelican nesting site at Gunnison Island in Great Salt Lake. Last week, Utah state, federal, and local leaders visited forest management projects to examine how land managers are addressing what some are calling the wildfire crisis. Alex Gonzalez with our partners at the Public News Service reports. Utah Governor Spencer Cox says it was a great opportunity to see how partners are managing Utah forests proactively, which not only improve wildlife habitat, but also helps to ensure better grazing and water quality. Cox says Utah uses science behind their forest restoration techniques, which has caught the eyes of other states in the region. He says forest management has become a bipartisan issue. The science is very clear on, on this one. We did get those pushbacks because you are, you're going in, you're knocking down trees, you're cutting trees down, you're burning trees. It turns out that's exactly what these forests need. Cox adds that many forests actually need disruption to ensure they stay healthy. If they aren't, he says forests can experience overgrowth, which can lead to what he calls catastrophic wildfires. He adds that the combination of mechanical treatments such as logging and prescribed burns end up protecting property, lives, and air quality. Intermountain Regional Forester Mary Farnsworth with the U.S. Forest Service says Utah's shared stewardship is working. She says it has granted agencies and partners the ability to communicate more effectively. Farnsworth adds the program has facilitated federal, state, and local cooperation. She says while the initiative was started to address the wildfire problem, it has also managed to encompass other areas of focus. It's, it's kind of a way of working instead of just these set agreements. I see us working on shared stewardship on all kinds of things, not just the wildfire crisis, um, but other things too. Where do we need to have some communications about recreation management? Since the initial shared stewardship agreement in 2019, more than $20 million from state and federal appropriations has been invested in active forest management projects on a cross-boundary and landscape scale. Leaders realize more can be done and would like to see more federal dollars match state and local investments. I'm Alex Gonzalez reporting. Republican leaders in the U.S. House of Representatives want to reverse the Biden administration's ban on new oil and gas leases near Chaco Canyon National Park. Earlier this month, the House Committee on Natural Resources heard testimony from Navajo people on the issue. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Clark Adamitis reports. Over the course of two hours, the committee discussed the Biden administration's drilling moratorium around Chaco. Arkansas Republican Bruce Westerman, who chairs the House Natural Resources Committee, took the opportunity to criticize the administration's decision. 
the Department of Interior refused to listen to the people on the ground and instead decided to steamroll those who don't agree with them in the name of climate change. The moratorium covers federal lands in a 10-mile radius around Chaco Canyon, and it was put in place to preserve archaeological resources left behind by Puebloan people centuries ago. But the land is a checkerboard of public, private, and tribal lands, and some of those lands are 160-acre allotments owned by Navajo people. Westerman said the drilling ban is harmful to those alatis. Navajo Nation Alatis stands to lose roughly $194 million in revenue uh, due to this withdrawal, and the administration appears to not care about that. Westerman's remarks were in line with those of Navajo Nation President Boo Nigren, a fierce opponent of the drilling moratorium. Nigren expressed his concerns for Alatis. Many derive their income from mineral development. Impacted Alatis say that they receive royalties averaging around 20000 a year. The, the disadvantaged communities in this region have a median income below 27000 which is below the federal poverty guidelines. Having grown up with very little, I seek to maximize economic opportunities and be a voice for our most vulnerable. Nigren told the committee that the Department of the Interior failed to adequately consult his tribe. The Navajo Nation government is in the best position to know what is best for the Navajo people. The withdrawal was done without meaningful consultation and fails to honor the Navajo Nation's sovereignty. Respect for tribal sovereignty must be consistent even when it is not convenient. But another Navajo leader who testified told the committee that the tribe was consulted. Mario Atencio, vice president of the Torreon Star Lake chapter of the Navajo Nation, supports the drilling ban. The cultural ceremonies that were created there are the most sacred rituals that are foundational to Navajo cultural identity. My family and I have deep spiritual and cultural connections to the greater Chaco landscape. But over the years, we have seen our lands and environment become deeply degraded by oil and gas pollution. There are nearly 40,000 oil and gas wells across the greater Chaco landscape. With Democrats in control of the White House and U.S. Senate, the House-sponsored legislation is unlikely to become law. Nonetheless, these hearings were an opportunity for Republicans to show that some Native Americans are not happy with the Biden administration's drilling ban at Chaco. I'm Clark Adamitis. And that's the KZMU News for Tuesday, July 25th. Get your community-powered journalism weekdays on the airwaves at noon and 6. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.